Hey everybody, it's Anthony Montgomery from Star Trek Enterprise, your friendly neighborhood, Travis Mayweather. Hope you guys are wonderful. Take care. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. Then transfer out, freak! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, fork-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, and now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, blah, blah. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. Thank you for listening and special greetings to all of our new listeners. We're so glad you've joined us and hope you'll continue to tune in regularly on the second Monday of each month for more Star Trek talk. And please don't forget to check out the shows that we release on the other three Mondays of the month that cover even more beloved nerddom topics such as Star Wars and comic books. This is Star Trek Monthly Monday number 12, and in tonight's show, we resume our more or less regular format dedicated to our love of all things Star Trek, particularly classic Star Trek. I am Scott Gardner, and I'm joined by my bestest pal in all the world, Chris Honeywell. Yeah, how you doing? Hey, doing cool. Doing great. And we are very excited to welcome to the show tonight our Dragon Con partners in crime, Mr. Todd Grady, known as Fleabeard on the ComicForums.com, and Mr. Eric Peterson, known as Greencapped on the ComicForums.com, and co-host of the very excellent Alternate Reality Podcast. Welcome, gentlemen. Hi, everybody. <laughs> how, are you, how are you guys doing tonight? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? Yeah, yeah doing great. Ready to talk some classic Star Trek? Star Trek? This is a Star Trek episode? This is a Star Trek episode. Just roll oh, with it, man. man. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, of course I'm ready to talk Star Trek. Scott's the only one who gets the script. We all have to just play off whatever he says, man. Oh, Don't we always, though? <laughs> <laughs> right out of the gate, what do we got here? Right, right quick, I just want to throw out a, a quick uh, public thank you to... Uh, Biblio Mike on the forum, Mr. Mike Poteet. He sent me a copy. He's as good as his word. He sent me a copy of Star Trek Burning Dreams by Margaret Wander Bonanno, and I just finished it today. I'm not going to talk about it yet because I've got a couple other book reviews to do first, but I will be talking about it in an upcoming show. So listen for that. But thank you, Mike. I really enjoyed the book, and I will be getting into that more later on. I want to throw out an open call for uh, all of our listeners. If you want to submit Star Trek book or comic or soundtrack or any kind of Star Trek reviews at all, you know, just uh, just let us know. We're especially looking for like short little audio reviews. You know, send us a little audio file or give us a call on our line or something like that. Just a little, you know, 
little review that we can play on the show. You know, something short, sweet, to the point. Try not to spoil yep. anything. That sort of thing. Um, well, you know, if if they if they send us a written review, I will read it personally, but I'll read it in a dumb voice or with a cheesy accent or something. So, can they pick the character it. that they want you to do it in? No, they absolutely cannot. <laughs> I pick the character. That 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 will be my creative in, input to it. But I I I will say that I'll put out a disclaimer right now that I won't be responsible for any kind of you know if you're gonna write it to us have have a nice thick skin because <laughs> <laughs> I will do it in a lobotomized voice or you know it, it depends on the letter. I'll have to see the letters before I know what voice that they speak in. But it won't be flattering. A well, whole with... review done in, like, Van Gelder voice would be absolutely... <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. It's like a ten-page review. But it'd be a six-episode. Plot! Plot! Was... Uh, hokey! <laughs> Oh, maybe that's not such a good idea. <laughs> it could be worse. It just could be like, boop. Oh, I like that. Yeah, have actually that would be the shortest review of all. It would be just one beep or two beeps. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a whole new segment on the show. That's ha- yeah. Oh, there you go. It'll be an interview. It'll yeah, be an interview. interview. Yeah, we need you <laughs> with with Captain Pike. That would be the great. Pike Files. The Pike Files. Oh, I like that. I like that idea. Well, we could do we could do it in like Gorn voice. You could do it in, sure. in Asket voice. I mean, there's so many that you could do. That's all you need is a lot of slurpy saliva stuff going in the background for the the Gorn voice. Well, I think I think we have some recordings that we made in the room when you guys were sleeping, and it sounds pretty much like that anyway. I'm sure. You are the worst offender of all, my friend. The worst offender of all. I'm always the worst offender. <laughs> well, speaking of Dragon Con, I think we have some audio now that we're going to play from the oh. uh, from the Star Trek panel that we attended, right? With uh, James Colley and talking about Star Trek Phase Two or mm-hmm. the new voyages. Yeah, this this sort of speaks for itself, huh? Yep. Kirk is such an iconic character. He's a god. Yeah, yeah, but I, uh, a lot of people who would watch it sort of have you know, Shatner in their head or their their picture of Kirk. How, when you decided that you were going to play Captain Kirk, did you approach that without aping William Shatner or trying to, you know, did you want to take it in your own direction? or? Uh... Well, for me, um, the only Captain Kirk is William Shatner. You can't replace him. Really. It was just a bunch of words on paper until he you know, gave it life. And uh, I knew that for me, there was no way that I could approach the character play without bringing something of William Shatner to it. Sometimes I get accused of, of imitating William Shatner. Uh, I don't think you do at all. But I intentionally do one scene in every story that we do. I try to do it one scene exactly like he would do it. And it always seems to work. It always seems to pick up on it. And some people love it, some people hate it. Um, when we did Blood and Fire, we screened here last year. There was a great moment where the Kirk finds out that his nephew is is gay and he's you know, he's going to get married, and he walks away. And Kirk looks at Spock and he 
when I read the script, it was a no-brainer. I thought, oh my God, this is the Shatner line. And, and David Gerald insisted, insisted. He said, if you don't read this like William Shatner, we're dead. You have to do this like William Shatner. Some people loved it, some people hate it. I love it. When I, when I got that line, I thought, how can I not? I mean, those, has anyone seen the episode? Yeah, yeah. So the one scene is is the nephew comes out to his uncle and he walks away after saying, you know, I want you to marry me and my partner. And Kirk is a little dumbfounded, not that not that his nephew was gay, but that why didn't I know that you know any of this? And why didn't I know that he was on the ship for somebody else? He's not here because he wants to be around me and all this stuff. And Kirk turns around and looks at Spock and he says, Spock, am I the only one who didn't know? It's just a great moment. <laughs> it plays both ways. You know? It's just a great, great moment. And I enjoy, I, I enjoy the, the Shatner aspect of the character. I really do, because he takes a lot of crap for the way he played the parts. But, you know, he, he, he really was brilliant in that role. George Decay actually says that he channels him too well. Are there any other Star Trek stars that are supposed to be in your productions? I certainly hope so. Uh, we've been talking with um, uh, Bob Picardo, who's dying to come on the show. Uh, uh, he has a specific idea for a character, and uh, you know, we've got somebody working with him to try to get the story that he's looking for. Um, there's a lot of them that I would love to have. I actually talked to uh, 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 Dominic Keating last year. Great guy wants to come on. Uh, Paul McGillian from Stargate wants to come on. Woo! So... Yeah, there's some there's some really cool people who, who I'm looking forward to possibly working with in the future. Uh, it's an exciting time. Can you talk a little about the cameo? I can talk a lot about it. Uh, <laughs> what was it like to be on the set? I mean, uh, first of all, it was a complete surprise to even be asked. And uh, uh, I thought that the sets were amazing, um, but I didn't like them for the Enterprise. I didn't feel, to me, it didn't feel like the Enterprise because it was so Apple iPod over, you know, modern. That's what you said. Classic stuff. Um, I love the cast. Terrific folks. Um, I have nothing but wonderful things to say. I love Carl Urban. <laughs> Patrick was actually with me on the set, and Carl Urban came over. He had heard that I was the internet guy. He came over and uh, wanted to talk about classic Star Trek and how excited he was about taking on the role. And he said, look, James, I, I even got the ring. So, and he had, he had DeForest Kelly. And uh, so he was, he was very much doing, I thought, a, a wonderful tribute and an and impersonation of DeForest Kelly, whereas the other actors were kind of doing their own thing. So it was this weird kind of thing. He was so McCoy and the others were kind of new to me, but... They were, they were wonderful people. Um, I, I have only the, the best of things to say about J.J. Abrams. I've never met a more gracious, talented, funny... I mean, just what a, what a hell of a nice guy. <laughs> and, uh, he, he's terrific, you know, and, and they deserve all the success they get. Um, I didn't enjoy the finished piece as much as I had hoped to. Um, I just have real issues with the plot. But uh, it was a plot. It was a plot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but I'm very pleased that the movie has made yeah, yeah. a ton of money and that it has basically brought Star Trek back and it's given it all its luster. And there's, I've been to Dragon Con now. This is my fourth time, and I am blown away by the number of classic Star Trek uniforms I've seen people wearing. I, I just that's wonderful. Richard's so. rule. Woo! <laughs> Big pass to leave us. Oh my god.
speaking of shirts. <laughs> what did it take to get here? Oh my God. <laughs> Hi, James. Scott from the Two True Freaks podcast. Two True Freaks? I got two quick questions for you. Okay. I feel you on the new Star Trek, and I'm wondering how you personally reconcile it. Do you just see it as a completely different alternate universe? It's, it's apples and oranges, and I, I think you can, you can, if you look at it that way, you can, you can enjoy it, you know? I, I don't think it's a bad film. I just think it had a terrible plot. I, I, you know, as far as Star Trek is concerned, I thought it had things that just didn't make sense to me, like uh, two things that bugged me. Here's this massive Romulan ship in orbit around Vulcan, and they don't know it's there. <laughs> they, there's no Vulcan security anymore. They don't have ships to protect themselves. That, that, really, you know, that was one thing that bugged me. No planetary defense. The, yes. The, the other thing that bugged me, I guess, that, that was very glaring, is if Scotty can now beam people great distances like that at warp drive, what the hell do we need starships for? Uh. Just things that didn't make sense in the history of the franchise. But you know, they were going for their own thing. They're trying to make Star Trek relevant and cool to a younger group of people, and I think they succeeded. Oh, I don't like the Spock Uber thing either. But do you think at the same rate that there's a, 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 an attempt to almost take Star Trek from us no. and give it to the cool kids Absolutely to play with? Not. I think you have to understand Paramount is a business. They're, they're a company that's in business to make money. And, you know, everything changes. Everything cycles. Things change. How many, how many interpretations of Batman have we lived through? Oh. Superman. Okay? You have to understand that there can be multiple versions of anything. And you just because you like one doesn't mean you have to like the other, but it doesn't mean they have to be at war with one another either. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you Paramount has taken nothing away from you. No, everything that has happened, you still have. And if, if not for J.D. Abrams, that's all you ever have. So I, I don't believe that either. Well, I mean, I don't. Because somebody else for a while. Somebody else would have come really along and given yeah. their own spin on it. Right. He's totally willing to. They, you know, it might not have been what JJ did, but somebody would have eventually been saying they would have been hired to say, "Okay, you want to do it on Star Trek?" Sure. Whether, whether they follow the old mold or not, we don't know if it had been exactly. Good. We don't. They might have died then. You know, as long as it wasn't. That might have been. I got a few points about the new film first, and he's not a bad actor. Well, can we hang on a second? I don't want to turn this into. Star Trek 11. Yeah, we had two and a half hours yeah. of that. I just came in so. my bed. <laughs> yeah, I, I really don't want to do that. I, I actually was supposed to be on a panel last night, but I didn't know that I was supposed to be on this panel last night. And I, you know, I'm not here to to bash the film. Please don't, you know, misunderstand me. I enjoyed the film, but there was a lot about it that, it plot-wise, that I didn't like. I love, I, for everything I didn't like, I can find something that I did, Okay. It wasn't a perfect film, but neither was The Wrath of Khan or The Motion Picture or any of that stuff. Perfection was the original series. That's as much about it as I want to say. Uh, I was just watching some of the, one of the episodes. I can't remember the name of it. There was a character in there who was almost like a Q. Uh, Trillane. Right. Are you going to bring him back? No, probably not. Probably not. I think that was a very story, and I, but I think it was self-contained. I think he was a, a spoiled brat who, who, who got disciplined, and that was the end of the story. One of the things that I, I don't want to get caught up into, which we sort of did in the beginning, is I don't want to be doing um, sequels to old episodes. To me, there's plenty of new stories to be told. There's plenty of places to go in the universe and the galaxy, and that's what we need to do. You know? I'm not opposed to bringing back a character if the story 
that we have warrants it. I've got a couple things. I just want to say that I, I went to a little secondhand bookstore we got in town. And the the racks are just filled with Star Trek and Star Wars books. Soft covers especially. Just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. So now would be the time to stock up. I don't. I didn't know what to buy. I just bought stuff like... I bought two classic Star Trek books. I bought The World of Star Trek and The Trouble with Tribbles, both by D David Gerald. Oh, yeah. So I'm probably going to read The Trouble with Tribbles one in anticipation of someday... We're going to eventually do a show on The Trouble with Tribbles. Mm -hmm. So then I'll have that backstory. I've heard David Gerald's very was very, like, kind of like Harlan Ellison-like, kind of arrogant and uh, demanding. So they should be very opinionated books, I'll bet. And for, I think that's the only episode he really wrote, isn't it? If memory serves, I believe he wrote the novelization of Encounter at Farpoint, too. Uh -huh. I think. And that was actually pretty good, you know, whether you like that episode or not. I happen to really like that episode. For a long, long time, that was my favorite episode of, of Next Gen, um, was was uh, the first episode. But yeah, that was a really good book, and it gave a lot of insight into the characters when they were still in that, uh, blanking on the word I want to use, Neo-something stage. You know what I mean? When they were yeah. spanking new characters that you really didn't yeah. know all that much about. But he kind of, you know, shed a little insight into them that I, I think was actually incorporated into the characters eventually and all that. But that was that was a pretty good book. But yeah, he he's done he did some other stuff with Star Trek beyond Trouble with Tribbles. But I'm kind of blanking on what it was. Well, I, I think he wrote the sequel that was in uh, Oh, more Tribbles, more Troubles. Yeah, the Tribbles, animated. more Troubles. And I don't know if he had an active hand in any of the writing or anything, but he does appear in. Um, Trials and Tribulations, which was the DS9 episode where they go uh -huh. back and actually interact in the episode itself. He's in there in like a cameo, and I don't know if the, you, you would even spot him unless he was pointed out to you, but um, I don't know that he actually had, you know, anything to do with the episode as far as writing or anything, but yeah, he's, you know, he's still associated with, with Trek mostly through <laughs> through Tribbles, I guess. <laughs> I used to, yeah, I used to have the world of Star Trek when I was a little kid, and it was literally one of those books that fell apart, you know, after, and I didn't even realize it till I started thumbing through this one, you know, and you get to the section that's all the pictures, and I started looking at all the pictures and going, oh my god, yes, I, and you know, I knew exactly which picture was next, so that was pretty cool, so, the, the only other book I was eyeballing, but it was five or six bucks, I can't remember, was... Like, it was a big trade paperback size, oversized Star Wars... Don't cross the streams. It would be bad. Um, character book. And it was yeah. all the characters and expanded universe characters and stuff and a little picture of them. And, and was that the ones that was like the guide? There was something like guides to characters and vehicles or some, something like that? Yeah. I, I saw some of those books at uh, at um, Adam Tebow's house. He was showing me. He's got a huge collection of like all those character guides. He's got a lot of stuff to do with like uh, role playing games and like Starfleet manuals and Star Wars books. And that stuff's really interesting because it, it it really fleshes out a lot of like the B characters, you know, and the lesser known characters and stuff. So I was really fascinated with all that kind of stuff, even though I never got into any gaming. You know, necessarily for that, but I just like it for the insight into the information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, Tons of I, information. 
I was just re- reading through this old. It was like a guide to Star Trek collectibles and merchandise, but it was. I think it was put out at the latest Star Trek 3 had been out. Oh, yeah. So it didn't have anything. It might be Star Trek 4, too, but it was by these two old-school Trekkie, Trekker ladies. You know, you could just tell they'd been into it since the very beginning, and uh, it was a very it was very interesting to leaf through that, too. I love books like that. You know what we need to do? We, I, I was just thinking, I was just about to say that I need to send you a list of, of books, you know, that I think that you'd be interested in. But what I'd really like to do, I'd like to solicit our listeners to submit to us. Tell us what we should read. Yeah, what are your lists? You know, what are your favorite? Well, maybe we could start. Well, I don't know where to start. That's the thing. Yeah. When I go to that, when I go to those bookstores, I, I see a lot of the Star Trek books that you used to have on the shelf, like when we were in high school that you priced, that you still have, you know. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what were they like Timescape or something publishing or Yeah, well they they changed a number off. of hands, but yeah. Yeah, but and stuff yeah, from all time periods and all different, you know, series and all that stuff. And anything beyond really next generation, I don't know anything about, so I have no interest in reading that stuff. Mm-hmm. Although although you might, but I've read know. some. It's hit and miss. See, I, I I've read a number of the. For me, what I what I'm interested in when it comes to the later. See, this this is so odd because when it comes to like Kirk era, I, I'm interested in pretty much anything Kirk era, I, particularly yeah, me too. After the first movie, you know, those are the ones I'm really most interested in, just because it's movie era and that that appeals to me a little bit more. But I'll still pretty much read it. About the only Star Trek books of of the classic era that I consider unreadable and I say that in air quotes unreadable are the are the old ones before pocket or whatever it was got the license a lot of those old ones that were coming out like in that in between period between the time the show got canceled in the first movie yeah. a lot of those books are just really bizarre and wacky and I, I just I have trouble getting through a lot of them although there were some good ones like the those uh, what was it uh, something of the Phoenix. It was like Fate of the Phoenix and something else of the Phoenix. Those were pretty good. You know, there, there's some that, that were good, but but then when it comes to like Next Gen, DS9, and Voyager, and well, even Enterprise, um, the only books of those that I'm honestly interested in reading at all at this point is I want to read the the what they call the relaunch novels, which is you know after the end of each of those series, they had. Um, a series of books that are supposed to take place after the end of the series. You know, it's like, you know, I reviewed several of those with Voyager, you know, where Voyager actually got home and the crew split up and what became of them. I like those. There's a whole bunch of those dealing with uh, DS9 and, and the and the next-gen characters and stuff like that. I want to read those eventually, and, you know, I'm trying to get the Voyager ones as they come out. So those I'm interested in, but all the ones that actually take place set during you know, the respective series and one, I'm not really so interested in that because you know, kind of what's going to happen. You know, you know, nobody's going to die and it's not going to have any like lasting effect on the ship or the crew or anything. So I, I don't know. It's, it's weird that I care about them set during the series in the original track, but I, I'm not, you know, I'm exactly the opposite when it comes to the later ones. So I don't know. I guess it's a weird hypocrisy, but you know, that's my breakdown on them. Break it down, Scott. Break it down. <laughs> but yeah, I really, I really do. I want to solicit listeners. I want to know, you know, what, what, 
what Star Trek books are out there that you hold up? You know, what are your favorites? You know, what what are the ones that you think are must reads or whatever? And more than likely, I probably you know if it, if it, especially if it's classic, I probably have it in my collection and either haven't ever read it or I read it and just don't remember it because I, I need to start over again basically and go right back to the beginning of of those pocketbooks and just start rereading because I, I used to read them faithfully as they came out. But shit, this is, you know, you're talking over 20 years ago now, and I just don't remember. Because you know, like, I can remember, like, I think the very first one was, like, The Entropy Effect. And I remember it being a great book. I just don't remember any of the details of it. So I just need to read it again and, and refresh myself. So I'm going to start trying to slowly make my way through those again. But between comics and everything else I'm reading for the show, who the hell knows when I'll find time for that stuff. So you can pick up some of that slack, you bastard. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I have to do more traveling by bus. I read two big books on my bus trip from Atlanta and two in front of Atlanta. So I read that whole Harlan Ellison book, which was great. Yeah. Which had a lot of writing in it about Star Trek the motion picture and not so much about Wrath of Khan, but a lot about Star Trek 3. He really liked Star Trek 3. I really like Star Trek 3. Do we get around to being able to talk about that? You you like that one too, Eric? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I like I like that one. Next to uh, next to to the motion picture, that would be my favorite one of, of you know of the rest of the movies because I, I still think the motion picture is often like its own special category of Star Trek movie. But you know, you, you take that one out of the running, then then three would be my definitely definite favorite. I really really love that one. Though, hey, a brief aside on, I was listening to your Star Trek motion picture episode, and mm-hmm. it I, I just thought of the perfect Dragon Con costume. And this is something I've never seen, and I don't ever remember having seen it anywhere online. A that, full-size Deidre. Yeah, well, that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> His little legs. Yeah, that could be pretty We'll sweet. put it together all through the show, through all the hotels. <laughs> And just get a bald chick to walk along with us. I could just strap like a like a thing of of dry ice to my ass. So and we'll walk around. Flop. We'll walk around with a gong t- covered with tinfoil that'll go gong. <laughs> okay, okay, so maybe it'll be never mind. Maybe it'll be a group costume then. No, I was thinking no disco McCoy, like the bearded oh, disco. Yeah. McCoy. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that would just fucking kick ass. Why is any object we don't understand always called a thing? It would I don't I don't unfortunately I don't have the uh, the scrawny yeah. physique to pull well, that off. Really that don't. would be hysterical. That would be <laughs> Todd, costume. I think you could probably you could do it with a big. Todd might be our man. That's what I'm thinking. Yep. Well, Todd, awesome. Chris, you could too. He, we're both skinny and ornery yeah. enough. <laughs> we need we we're good. Either one of us is going to need a wig though, because he had a full bush yeah. on top. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe we could both be you can be like Disco a singing McCoy. Disco McCoy. That yeah. would be funny. Yeah. Maybe one of us could just have a goatee and be Mirror Universe Disco That's McCoy. Right. <laughs> and we'll fight. We'll we'll fight like Shirons. We'll just like you know push against each other in a eternal struggle of immovable object meets what irreversible force or whatever. 
whatever the hell that is. Crotchety well, if, you ever, if you ever look at the trading cards for Star Trek The Motion... And Chris, I think you actually... Weren't you the one that sent me that, that complete set of the of the Star Trek The Motion Picture trading cards? The top I might cards. have. I might and, have. Uh, there's all I those aliens in there that you only ever just glimpse a, you know, glimpse a, a group shot. Yeah. yeah. And I'd love to be any one of those because there's the one guy that looks like ass face or something. He's got like, like I don't know, he's a really weird. I don't know. Oh, I used can... to know all those races and I sense of totally well, see, forgotten. There's, there, one that's there's another like... group costume there. It could be ass face, yeah. like ass head, ass face and the ass heads. Oh, we could be the, we yeah, could be the ass heads. Yeah, it would be like a cantina band, basically. With today's technology, <laughs> with the today's technology, we could basically, we could even have the pulsing yeah? brain oh, yeah. of the ass heads. Well, don't they have disco medallions too? The Tolope well, had disco I medallions. I believe so, yeah. I, I say, but if we're a singing group, what we have to do is it has to be all recorded because it's all psychic. So all we would have to do is sort of like bounce <laughs> up and down a little bit with, yeah. <laughs> with, you know, with concealed speakers playing it. <laughs> now I'm picturing a bunch of Telosians like bobbing up and down doing like the do 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 kind of Yeah, exactly. <laughs> instead, of, instead of the instead of the blue man group it would no, be this the is, No, group. this now it's getting more complicated but cuz what I think we should do is have you know the four of us as the as the assheads then we need four other people who with my, you know like Mr. Microphones who are just out of shot of where people can see who can totally like ah comment on what's going yeah. on yes the humans you know display the all the traits of an inferior race and that way you can actually have back and forths we need a few humans to uh, th- those people will be our human slaves and they'll also have the obedience collars on them that we can make them you know writhe in pain when they do the wrong thing <laughs> Okay. Totally get into being one of the assheads, though. That would be awesome. I, I you're halfway there, my friend. Of of having that issue anyway. So there you go. I might as well just play to play to type. All right, right there. I think that should be our cue to get the hell out of this. Okay. Hey, and get on yeah, to the next one. Just keep those costume ideas between the four of us. We don't want oh. anyone else to steal those oh. ideas. Okay. <laughs> oh, so I'm gonna have to cut that out. Maybe I'll just oh. beep out large parts of it because it'll be because it's on the show as of right now. We're still on the show right now. We still haven't gone to break. So your whole plan's just in ruins now. It will be in two so weeks. Five other people to, are gonna know about this. That's yeah, right. You're gonna hack. You're gonna have to hack onto our computer and our computers and delete the files if you don't want it to get out. Biblio Mike, don't tell anybody, please. <laughs> Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Do you?
Okay, we're back. It's DC Comics Star Trek now. The middle section of our show, which is getting fatter and fatter all the time as we age. It's, uh, we're in the issue number five, and it goes all the way back to June 1984, when I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah. It's a uh, DC Comics Star Trek number five, covered by Tom Sutton and Sal Amendola. Written by Mike W. Barr and art by Tom Sutton and ink by Sal Amendola. The original cover price of this was 75 centaroonies, three shiny quarters. And the story title, Mortal Gods. Imagine, gods in Star Trek. I'm going to hand it over to Scott Gardner here to tell you what happened. No! Okay. All right, in this one, the Enterprise is dispatched to beta, the Beta Epsilon system to determine the fate of the USS Valor, which may have been lost during the war with the Klingons in the uh, prior, what, like four issues. Um, after determining that the Valor has indeed been destroyed, Kirk, Savick, Dr. McCoy, Lieutenant Sherwood, which I just get a kick out of that name. I don't know. It makes me think of Robin Hood for some reason. And uh, Ensign Wood. Bearclaw, who I wonder if he was some sort of prototype for uh, or, or inspiration Chakotay. for Chicote. Yeah, I really think, you know, especially from what he does in this story, I think Chicote might have spun out of this guy. Now, Bearclaw anyway, uh, is like, he's like the ship's baker, right? <laughs> it's like him and, yeah, him and private cheese Danish. That was that was back in the days, and the, the you know the Native Americans would name people after what they did. Yeah, Ensign Krispy Kreme. Yeah. We go. All right. So they all beam down to the sixth planet to check for survivors. Once there, Ensign Bearclaw, having literally just been reminded of the Prime Directive by Kirk, um, he you know basically ignores him and goes ahead and saves some local kids from being trampled by a space horse. And Kirk and his landing party, you know, they find themselves being received as, quote, more gods from beyond the sky by the native peoples. So Kirk and company, they're taken to a temple where they meet the local god, who is none other than Captain Hodges, formerly of the starship Valor. Hodges introduces Kirk to Commander Baylor and General Dekton, who are native military leaders who are also bitter enemies, but they've been forced to reluctantly unite under Hodges as their god. And uh, Hodges also introduces the group to Lila, who is a native woman and the woman that uh, Hodges has taken for a wife. So Kirk, who is, you know, you'll remember, he's an admiral at this time, and therefore Hodges' superior officer... He demands an explanation and is told of how the Valor was lost in battle with the Klingons and how just Hodges and a handful of others um, abandoned ship in an escape pod. And the pods, you know, crash landed on the planet and Hodges was the only survivor. Well, when the, when the pod was crashing, this was all witnessed by the warring forces of Baylor and Dekton. They had this giant battle going on and they took it as an omen. So Hodges came to be regarded as a god due to the nature of his arrival and his advanced technology and all that. And he wraps up his story by telling Kirk that he actually believes that he's been chosen to be these people's god. And Kirk responds that the only thing you've chosen, mister, is to violate your captain's oath in the Prime Directive. Um, But when Kirk actually attempts to take Hodges into custody for this, the native guards, of course, they run to defend their god and 
Kirk acknowledges the uh, the current stalemate, and so they all leave, but not before he you know warns Hodges about the course that he set for himself, which Hodges just you know basically blows him off. So meanwhile, uh, Baylor and Dekton, they're up to no good. They're lamenting the situation as it exists and that they're being forced to play nice together when they you know, freely acknowledge that they hate each other's guts and they really just, uh, just as soon go back to being at war. And they put their heads together and they plot to actually do something about it. Kirk checks in with the Enterprise and then we cut to see Baylor takes out one of Hodge's guards and enters his quarters to discuss with him, quote, unfinished business. So sometime later, there's a scream and Kirk comes running in Kirk style and he finds Lila clutching a piece of Hodge's bloodstained clothes. And Kirk surmises that he's been kidnapped and calls upon Bearclaw, who is, you know, of of Native American Indian descent, to use his Indian skills, basically, his his traditional Indian upbringing, to track Hodges down. So Baylor, meantime, is holding Hodges in what looks to be uh, Bear Rabbit's briar patch and informs him that he doesn't believe Hodges is a god and that he will make a fine martyr as kind of a springboard to war. Elsewhere, Dekton is inciting his people to make war on Baylor for having stolen their god. Kirk tries to calm the situation, then he sets about finding Hodges, leaving Lieutenant Sherwood behind at the camp. But Dekton just attacks her. Once they're all alone, he steals her phaser, and then he declares that he who wields the power of a god is himself a god. So he's, you know, now appointed himself a fellow god. And Kirk and company, then they arrive at the at the Briar Patch hideout thing, and they fight their way in. Um, with Dekton's, you know, totally pissed off army in hot pursuit and ready to make war on uh, Baylor, the, the kidnapper of their god. Kirk demands that Baylor let Hodges go, and he's, uh, Baylor is holding Hodges at knife point. And in the confusion, Lila tries to free her husband, but then she's stabbed by Baylor. Kirk and Bearclaw phaser down Baylor, and McCoy sets about trying to save Lila, but she's lost all this blood. Outside, Dekton, armed with his stolen phaser and his, uh, and his troops, they've all arrived, and Savick is forced to blast him in order to try to defuse that situation. Kirk gets McCoy to allow him to take Lila up to the Enterprise in order to save her life, and Hodges feels really guilty about how all this shit's gone down, and says that he wants to leave, but he doesn't know now how he, how he can. So Kirk, of course, you know, Kirk's got an idea. He's Kirk. He's always got a plan. So Hodges calls his people together and decrees that he must leave them and rejoin his fellow gods in the sky. And they all begin to to whine and protest when all of a sudden a booming voice and this weird Kirby-esque looking figure appears in the sky and demands his return. So Hodges appoints Lorak, who's Lila's father, um, leader of the people in his stead, and then he just leaves. Then we cut to aboard the Enterprise... Konam, the pussified Klingon, shrugs out of his god costume, and Nancy Bryce, you know, does the typical, oh, darling, you were wonderful act with him, you know, congratulating him on, on his portrayal of that god figure that summoned Hodges up to the ship. And Hodges is, you know, then he's reunited with Lila, and she's going to pull through, she's going to be just fine. So back on the bridge at the end, we, you know, in classic 
Kirk, Bone, Spock style, we get Savick kind of filling in for the Spock role, confronts Kirk about, you know, the three violations of the prime directive that she's counted during this, this adventure. And Kirk says that they've set the planet back on its natural course, natural normal course. And Kirk says that they gave that they, they set the people up and that they gave them a choice, which is something that they didn't have before. And that's pretty much how the issue ends. So what did everybody think of this one? I liked it. It was it was Star Trekky. I have one nitpick. Uh-huh. There's a quote at the beginning that they um they say the planet is B on the Richter scale of culture. Yeah, exactly. The Richter scale? Uh-huh. <laughs> that doesn't make sense to me. But that had something to do with earthquakes. You're talking and, nonsense. And I'm also glad to see in the future that they've gone from Native American back to Indian. Right, right me too. Right, I was, right. yeah. I hate but all that PC shit. So yeah, it's it's a pretty standard Star Trek story. Uh, I mean, it's it's really funny that Kirk's going to arrest this guy for breaking the Prime Directive, you know, with his history of exactly. playing loose and and wild with the with the Prime Directive. So. I thought of that, but you know, Kirk never set himself up. At, well, no, I can't. A piece say of the that, action, actually. Yeah, he actually did. Come to think of it, when you know, <laughs> not intentionally, but when he was Kirok, I guess you could argue. I am Kirok. He did kind of set himself up in sort of a god role. Now that I think about it, so never mind. Scratch that. <laughs> but uh, I like this one because it, it, it's another one that plays into that whole thing of. Let's do something really, really sketchy and then just fucking abandon these people. Because this seems to be a recurring theme in classic Trek where they come in. They come in and screw things up. Yeah, they, you know, well, in this case, I think, I, I think Kirk and, and Bones really at the end of the story feel like, well, you know, all's well that ends well. But I would love to see them revisit this planet, you know, in like 10 years and like, you know, they've nuked each other or something, <laughs> you know, because. Uh, you know, to my knowledge, that book that I recently reviewed, that uh, Ex Machina, is the only one that I can think of that actually re-examines where Kirk tore down a society's god or whatever, and then they went back later and looked at it and realized, oh my god, I did I fuck up, you know? And I really liked that. I, I really liked that it showed that Kirk wasn't infallible that you know that well basically that you can't just change a society at their fundamental level and then just leave them hoping well they'll be okay because these people weren't okay and i have a feeling that these people wouldn't be okay either (laughs) well which for for a primitive culture most of their culture is based in religion and you've now established their religion Uh so yeah you've pretty much set their culture in motion maybe not technologically but as far as culture goes you 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 just said it Mm mm-hmm I mean, how much now would, would their culture be based on and, and how much effort might go into them becoming like, like our ancient ancestors, you know, devoting thousands of years to building monuments and roads to, and to landing strips and stuff, Klingon. waiting for the gods to come back, you know, trying to, trying to get the gods to come back to... Well, here's something even worse. Or, uh-huh. Since, you know, the major, the, you know, the all powerful god that showed up at the end was a Klingon. If the Klingons show up on this world, they could just take it over because they're going to be like, ah, look. Hey. It's one of the elder gods. Although yeah, I would but, say, you know, he was disguised just enough yeah. to where he, there wasn't quite any f- specific form. Oh, okay, and they are yeah, true. 
but they already seem predisposed as a race to accept anyone who comes in with any sort of advanced technology as yeah, a god right. anyhow. Yeah. So, so I mean, yeah, that certainly could be an interesting sequel to the story is to have the Klingons come in and just happen upon it and go, yeah, hey, we like this, you know? Sure. What kind of ore do you have here? <laughs> I mean, I could see, I could see like a whole like enslaved race. I'm not saying necessarily the Klingons, but any, any Star Trek alien race. I could see how, you know, coming back and going to war later with this whole, you know, drone army of these, these characters that they've easily been able to enslave. Yeah, absolutely. You know that that any any enemy of the of the Federation could now establish a, a, a toehold on this planet, and and have an entire population of the planet at their disposal. That, you know, that as as disposable warriors or whatever. Yeah, I could totally see that. You know, because there are so many races that would be scumbag enough to do something like that you know like the Klingons or Romulans or Ferengi or anybody could come in and do something like that so yeah certain human factions uh-huh. mm-hmm. but yeah I liked this I liked this story a lot because it really even with the goofy ending it really felt a lot like a classic Star Trek because I, I do think that that's very much a, a, something that Kirk would do you know, within the you know the the forty five fifty minute time frame of a classic Star Trek, they would come in, have a dubious ending. You know, where they're like, "Well, they'll be okay." <laughs> you know, and like the episode that we'll talk about here and you, you know, after the break is exactly it ends exactly yeah. like, "Oh, you guys will be all right. You won't see ya." <laughs> <laughs> even <laughs> even worse, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. And and can can. Answer me this, guys. Do you think they're really that open-minded in the future that a man would fall in love with the woman with the head of a goat rat? <laughs> I mean, I was taking a look at it. They have those weird, just white eyes and, like, rat, goat... Chris, have you ever looked heads? deeply into the clear white eyes of a, of a rat, goat woman? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, mean, I haven't. Maybe, I mean, maybe, that me was your whole, maybe that was your whole problem at Dragon Con. Fuck you. you just- right <laughs> <laughs> who, who said there was anything about love, man? The guy is, you know, the, the guy's on this planet for God knows how long. Yeah, he, true. He, he, it's, a, it's offered to him. He's going to take it, you know. Well, yeah, but hell. he also had an opportunity to get out. But well, he true, brought, her, true. brought her with him. And- well, from behind, she might look like a sheep. And, you know, some guys get yeah. into that kind right. of Right, so. right. Then he's better watch out for Scotty. <laughs> she she, she, she what? <laughs> Either that was some weird reference that I don't get, or uh, Eric Peterson's Skype did a very funny Max Room type of thing. <laughs> I get the impression that it probably did. It was probably for the better. <laughs> All we heard was shoot, 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 shoot. Yeah, that's what we heard. Awesome. I can't wait to hear it on the playback. It was great, though. I, I thought it was like skeet, out. skeet, skeet, or something like that. <laughs> I don't know what what happened there. So that's oh, all I got for this episode. Okay. <laughs> this issue. <laughs> well, moving right along, do we have time for a for a quick, quick, quick book review? Um, do we have a choice, man? Yeah, I think uh, how we, we got time. <laughs> Sorry. I was eating a Twinkie. Hi, friends. It's me, Orca Stay Free. And this 
is the Orca Book Club. Okay, welcome back to Orca's Book Club. This time around, I am going to be talking about the book Star Trek The Eugenics Wars, The Rise and Fall of Khan Noonien Singh, Volume 2, by Greg Cox. I honestly don't have a lot to say about this one. I'm going to just cut to the chase and tell you, I don't recommend this one. I really didn't dig it very much at all. It's not that it's a bad book. It's just... uh, I think it falls flat. It doesn't ring true. I really don't think that this is what was intended to be what what Khan was. I don't think that this was intended to be the backstory of Khan and how he wound up, you know, exiled from Earth, you know, aboard the spaceship and all that. I enjoyed the first book in this series, and I do recommend that one. You know, the volume one. It was really interesting. It was basically. The creation of Khan leading right up to the time when he was a, a young man just starting to trying to assemble his power and everything and become a power. But this book picks up where Khan is more or less established and it, it just doesn't feel – it doesn't ring true. I mean the eugenics wars in this basically could be called the eugenics uh, – conspiracy theory because all of the supermen you know that that Khan was supposed to have have waged this world war with they all operate behind the scenes kind of illuminati style and there's never really a full blown conflict you know there's there's not a ravaged earth left behind you know there's no gunplay there's no nuclear wars there's nothing like that it's it's really Khan trying to secretly take out all of his brother and sister supermen and and basically consolidate his power base and all but khan is portrayed really as kind of a you know like he's constantly being thwarted he's kind of a loser he he can never seem to pull off anything that he plans nothing seems to work out for him and at the end of the story he basically steals an experimental rocket ship from area 51 and I'm not making that shit up to, you know, throw his people into the ship and, and leave the earth at the end. He basically slinks away with his tail between his legs, but he doesn't leave behind a shattered and broken earth, which is really the impression I got from the episode space seed that, that Khan started a war. And when, when things got out of control, that he basically split before he was put down or whatever. And I don't get any of that from this book. I get Khan very much as like the the frustrated super genius that just can't. You know, he's like he's almost like a like a parody villain to where he's like Lex Luthor. You know, he's brilliantly smart yet all of his plans fail. You know, kind of, that kind of you know like a snidely whiplash or something. And I I just didn't feel it with this one. And the the biggest problem with this beyond Khan constantly failing and coming across as a total putz is Gary Seven and, and Roberta Lincoln are here throughout the entire book. They're involved way too much in the in everything that goes on. They're no longer even behind the scenes. I mean, they're really front and center in this story. And then the people that are working on the rocket that, that Khan eventually steals in this book that are all, like, they're, they're the team at Area 51 working on it, is doing that coincidence thing to the to the nth level and it was really really annoying it was the team consists of one of the scientist guys from the little green men episode of ds9 patrick roy kirk the guy who would eventually create nomad 
um, Sean Christopher, Captain Christopher's son that would eventually go to, what was it, Saturn or whatever. One, that woman that was Captain Janeway's ancestor in that Millennium Gate episode of Voyager. It was like all these Star Trek people that, granted, were all unrelated to each other, but we as the reader know them from Star Trek history, and here they all are on this one team together working on the rocket that eventually Khan would send. It was just like, okay... I, I'm tired of all these just remarkable coincidences. It's a little bit too much because the first book was chock full of it, and it was fun for a while. But but this book really pushed you know the the, the limits of tolerance and credibility for that kind of thing. And so, anyway, long story short, I don't recommend Volume Two. Not not a very good book. That's cold, man. Cold. I'm sorry. I, that's the cold harsh work. reality of the situation is I don't like everything I read. It's cold at the bottom really? of the sea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, well, we'll end this section on a downer, man. Oh. <laughs> Sad, Sad trombone in there. <laughs> <laughs> This has been the Orca Book Club. You've got him on complete life support. Was he dead? Jim. Come on, Bones, what's the mystery? His brain is gone. What did you do with Spock's brain? Brain and brain! What is brain? My brain hurts! This fellow is keeping us from our property. Go away. You must not take the controller away. We will all die. Alright, we're biggity, biggity, biggity back. And it's Star Trek Monthly Monday. <laughs> we have just hit the, the... One of the... Just people have been crowding up and of course scheduling problems and everything. We've All we've got is Todd Grady and Eric Peterson. Yo, yo, yo. But everybody wanted to climb onto Spock's brain because what an episode. Now, since Scott and I in a, in a bad miscommunication, neither of us have written our synopsis. We're just going to sort of wing it. The Enterprise Please suck. The Enterprise is flying around in space, and a beautiful woman no shows way. up on the bridge. She ta- That's my she, space flying. She noise. makes everybody fall down with a bright light, and when they wake up, Spock's brain is gone, but he's on life support, and so they rig him up as RC Spock with a nice little lobot headpiece, and they take him down to the planet. They, you know, they figure out which planet would most likely the, be in range of where the, the brain kidnappers would live and find a hopeful-looking planet, go there and uh, ride a uh, super-fast space elevator down into the core of the planet where there's all these beautiful women in go-go boots and, and miniskirts who uh, have taken Spock's brain and 
turned it into the core of their computer system, which keeps them alive. And come to find out that they can only be smart for a few minutes by using the patented Krell technology to boost their brain and put whatever information they need to survive in. And, of course, we get uh, McCoy takes a brain boost and, and learns how to uh, put Spot's brain back into his body and uh, does that. Of course, halfway through the operation, the, 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 the brain boost starts to give way and Spock has to coach him. And they put Spock's brain back in, into his body and off they go, leaving this civilization to its eventual, who knows what its fate is, in typical <laughs> Kirk style. They all starve and or freeze to sure. death. Sure, who cares? Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> but uh, when there was a there was an audible groan when this episode came up last time when the uh, Star Trek computer random number generator picked it. Right. And uh, everybody, oh, oh god, you know. So this one's got that reputation. I, you know, I've seen terrible. Yeah, I was well, wondering you know, about that myself because I I don't. I mean, yeah, it's not great in parts, but it's entertaining and it's not any. I don't know. I just don't see it as like, oh, this is horrible episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I think are a lot worse. And one of them, we, we, strangely, we were all discussing this. This will tell you how screwed up my household can be sometimes. At dinner tonight, my wife and my my two sons and I are sitting around, and this came up as a subject of conversation with Spock's brain because I made my wife watch it with me, and she just groaned through the whole thing. But I said, you know what? It's not the worst one. And and Scotty was like, oh, well, well, what's worse than that one? And I got to thinking, okay, I had to put my money where my mouth is. But the one that I, that came immediately to mind, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head, but it's the one where they're on the, the planet where the Romans have, like, psychic powers, and they've got that little midget guy, Alexander, that does I it. I love that. Oh, oh yeah, that episode that. sucks. Socks. Alexander is like his role is a forerunner of Steve Martin and all of me when he's partially possessed. That yep. whole like getting run from one place to another against his will is great. Come on, it's a midget, man. I hate that episode. I thought the Cloud Minders was worse than this, but the Cloud Minders That's... wasn't that bad either, you know. Well, at least uh, the 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 whatever his name's daughter had had a great rack, you know. That, there were that was, a lot of beautiful yeah. girls in this one too. That one when they first get down underground, that first girl they encountered, damn, she looks like Linda Carter. She's she did, hot. didn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was doing it for me big time. I mean, plus it's not only a bunch of beautiful women; it's a bunch of beautiful stupid women. How awesome is that? It's <laughs> they like, are pretty dumb. Cool. Well, my, the first thing my wife asked when they got down underground, he and my wife looks at me and she goes, he's going to do her, isn't she? <laughs> he doesn't. He actually oh, Kirk, yeah. doesn't actually nail any of them, or at least not that we see on screen anyway. Yeah, I but, think he did off camera. Yeah. I think, right. well, and then that surgery went on for a long time. There was a bunch right. of fade transitions. So what do you think he was doing during I, that whole surgery? I sub-tree? think he was having them bring pain and delight to him because they are the bringers of pain and delight. You handle the pain and I'll handle the delight. Well, this is skipping way, way ahead in my notes, but you brought up the uh, the, the cross, what is that called? Cross fade, double cross exposure, fade, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Did you notice how many similarities there are between this episode and Star Trek 3? I think there's a bunch oh, of yeah. them. There and are. that part with the, with the crossfading ending and all that reminds me so much mm-hmm. of the part where they're putting Spock's 
Katra back into his body in at the end of Star Trek three. And there's there's other things in there like that too that that remind you know that are yeah. similar. Well, I mean, having having seen, of course, Star Trek three since I originally saw this, you know, when I went back and rewatched it, when they first revealed down in sickbay that that Spock's brain is gone, you know, they're like, well, where could it be? And I'm thinking, it's in Bone's head. <laughs> it is pretty much the same thing. It's like they have this body that you know can only be sustained for so long and. It's like, where did he go? <laughs> I would like to say, though, that the true star, there is one breakout acting star of this episode, and that is McCoy's eyebrow. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I cannot remember another <laughs> episode of Star Trek. Oh, I mean, during the whole episode. Just just <laughs> go back and rewatch it and, and watch for it. I've never seen him arc his eyebrows so dramatically. <laughs> throughout the entire episode. Well, I gotta say, all the sort of B characters were on their A game in this show, because Scotty looked like he actually combed his hair for this episode. Yeah, he, yeah, he looked good. Uh, he was he was sl- slicker than owl shit, if I, if I could be so crude. He actually washed his hair for the yeah, episode. <laughs> it looks like. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think he had an ulterior motive um, to probably for cleaning up, but I'll, I'll get to that later if we're going to go kind of kind of in order, <laughs> if, you, if you even want to kind of go in order. Well, what, one note I have about this is it seems aliens really love to breathe that perfect nitrogen-oxygen mix. It's just always at the beginning of the, you know, they like, yeah. well, let's look for the planet that we can at least breathe on. Because <laughs> I don't want to put on a, I want to go find Spock, but I don't want to put on a spacesuit. So. Yeah, I, yeah, no breathing apparatus, please. <laughs> at Chekhov, there seems to be this theme it picks up in the movies more of things going into Chekhov's ear. <laughs> he's got a her as big thing stuck in his stuck in his ear in this one, and it's just like you know, I don't know it's some weird, weird, weird little theme they've got going with Chekhov. But, now we do know, get to see at the beginning, um, and this is something I actually didn't remember seeing much during the series is that little pop out thing out of the control. Oh, the periscope thing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that. that you actually get to see it coming out, and I was like, oh, I don't remember seeing that a lot. I either see it up or down. But. Yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, Sulu's got his own little, little view master that retracts out of his thing. Now, Chris, I, I know that you, when you were here, we watched this together. Yeah. So you got to see the special edition one, you know, as well as that, you know, what do they call it? The enhanced edition. Mm hmm. And, you know, as I've said a million times, I'm not a big fan of special edition treatments and that sort of thing, but I'm really, really digging these enhanced versions. However, I have a complaint with this one. Uh-oh. Uh, you know, everything so far with the enhanced versions that I've noticed primarily seems to consist of space shots. You know, if it's like a, a shot of the Enterprise or, a, you know, a, a battle outside or something like or that. Or mat shots when they beam down somewhere. Right. Um, yeah, they, there was a beautiful one in this when they beam down to the planet. There's They actually, dub, you know, put in in the background like a really nice, like, wintry mountainscape behind them. It really looks sharp. However, there's a lot of other places I think that they could really benefit from this. And one of them was the part you're talking about with Chekhov with the thing in his ear and he's showing Kirk that, you know, the, the, the schematic that has the three M class planets on it. And it, it looks like, like something out of like a 1950s science class book. Yeah. Yeah. You know I mean? It's Ding. really shit. It's like, <laughs> wow, you know, why isn't that like a 3d computer image or something? It really looks cheesy. 
Okay, if everyone can turn to page 16 in their text, we'll all look at Beta Epsilon system. I, I expected a little animated um, mascot to come out. Yeah, exactly. Okay, now we're going to see the map of the Beta Epsilon system. <laughs> I'm Iggy huh? Epsilon. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Mr. DNA from Jurassic Park comes out to, to tell about the planet. <laughs> I'm Epi, your navigator. My favorite note that I've got, because I've only got just a few of them on this episode. I really do like this one. It, it's, it's great cheesy fun, I think. And I, I think it's unintentionally funny. But my favorite note is, uh, and Chris and I both noticed this when we were watching it, in the scene where Kirk and, and them are brought before the the female council and they're in yeah. that like council chamber and they're sitting in the chairs, look at the lamps hanging from the ceiling in the background. I swear that I saw those same lamps at Shakey's Pizza when I was a kid. <laughs> they, they, they look exactly the same. And it's just hysterical to look at it. They really look like they're out of some old 70s pizza joint. It's absolutely just hysterical. It cracks me up. I, th- I think you almost made up a new word there called hysterical. Hysterical? Hysteri- hysterical. It would be for a comedy, hor- ho- comedy horror movie. It's hysterical. Which, just, just a, si- a little side note that has nothing to do with anything but bad movie title is there's a new goddamn fucking chipmunks movie and it's actually called it's actually called the chipmunks the squeakwell oh no so fucking something has just knocked garfield 2 off my fucking ultimate hate list of anthropomorphic computer animated 3d animals chipmunks 2 the squeakwell we've all demanded it now, why don't they do a Tribble movie like that, all from the Tribble's point of view? Ooh. Oh. That's... <laughs> you could get, like, you know, young celebrities Better and yet. stars to do the voices. Better yet, a Satur- Saturday morning cartoon, Tribbles. Be, you could just rewrite all the Smurf episodes except make them Tribbles. Yeah, just superimpose a very bad <laughs> superimpose Tribble over the top of each one. Have a fat <laughs> Tribble. Have a you know you can obviously you can have a fe- you can have a Tribbleette because you'd have to have a bald one. Yeah, a bald Tribble. Uh, a br- a Tribble like- with glasses. It's really smart. A Tribble with a beard. Well, they just had that G-Force movie about yeah, what it was like exactly. fucking hamsters or something. Sure. So they could totally right. have Guinea like pigs, action yeah. tribbles, you know, like yeah. a team of top secret tribbles that I don't know. We're getting... find the Quadro Triticale. <laughs> There's no tribbles in Spock's brain. We need to get no. Back, we need to get back, back to Spock's brain. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys notice something funny that uh, that I, I actually have it running with no sound on my laptop while I'm talking to you guys? In the very first scene where the alien zaps everybody and knocks them unconscious, you know, everybody kind of goes through this little convulsion and falls to the ground. You may notice that Kirk's made a point of falling out of his chair to the point where his <laughs> ass was pointed right towards the screen. Yeah. 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 That's Shatner, man. Shatner always has to, you know, he has to be the center focus of everything. He's got to convulse a little more. You get a good Nurse Chapel panty shot, too. Oh yeah, yeah. See that later? She got her, you know, got her green granny panties on under that miniskirt. Yeah, She's right. like the only one who goes, you know, all skirts up. So Rod yeah, she had like, quite a convulsion as she fell to the floor. That was yeah. hers was quite dramatic. Yeah, it was orgasmic. <laughs> <laughs> what was the point of putting the pain belt on a brainless Spock? 
They don't know. Well, they're they're yeah, stupid. They're dumb as rocks, man. <laughs> I guess that was it. That's what that was you know, the I point. They literally we'll are. They're dumb as rocks, and then they just go and plug themselves into the machine when they need to do something, and then they know exactly what they're doing for half an hour or so, and then they go back to being runway models. Now, see, I love making up my own McCoy dialogue in my head when I watch these episodes. <laughs> yeah. Because... It's, you know, as much as you know, as much as I admire Kirk, and it's all about Kirk, I, I think I would have to be sort of the the sarcastic voice of McCoy. But I found myself thinking, well, you know, when they when they're down underground in the planet, and he's explaining to him, you know, Jim, they're they're like the mind of a child, like a three year old. Uh, you know, all I could think was, Jim, can't you see they're retards? <laughs> 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 And this whole episode, through the whole thing, I'm thinking this is ripe for riff tracks. Oh yes, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. The episode is this is this is perfect for it. I, I now you tell me. Yeah, I'm I'm no judge of such things. Am I a bad father because my kids caught one nitpick in this whole episode, and then I had to bust their bubble by actually coming up with like a no prize explanation for it. <laughs> So am I a bad? Am I a bad dad? No. But if Logan, Logan actually caught this, and I was really, I was really happy for him. And See, it's the and same then, one that I did. Yeah. Spock blinks, brainless Spock, toward the end of the episode when they're when they're in the chamber where Spock's brain is in the in the. And by the way, I would swear that that fucking machine that he is in is also doubles as the um, cloaking device in the Romulan episode. Ooh, it could very well right. be. Yeah. But anyway, when they're in that room, right towards the end, I think it's right before, either right before or right after Kirk puts the teacher on that stupid girl's head, Spock blinks. And Logan said, look, he blinked, look, he blinked. And I rewound it, and he was like, sure enough, he blinked. And, you know, I, I congratulated him. But then later when we were talking about it at dinner, I thought, you know what? I'm a big geek because I actually have an explanation for why he blinks. The blinking is kind of an autonomic function. Well, exactly, and, and that and was my thing. Physiology well, too. He doesn't. Well, he doesn't have a brain anymore, so he shouldn't have any autonomic functions. However, he breathes too, and you can see him in a couple of shots mm -hmm. where it shows him standing there that he's actually respirating. So my theory is that that lobot thing that he's got on his head is controlling all of his autonomic functions, wow. like yeah, eating and that. blinking and stuff like that. So. You know how big of a fucking geek am I? But wow, okay, it's, well, ama it's then, amazing you found a wife and had kids, man. Hang on to the, <laughs> hang on to them, man, because. Damn. Well, explain this one away, Mister Science. Um, okay. When when they're first in sick bay and he's lying on the table, you know they have the the medical readout on the display above their heads. Mm -hmm. Of course, with the with the joy of you know DVDs and modern technology, we can very clearly see the screen. Well, the second from the left little readout function is brain and it and it's it's up a few notches so it's not totally gone that's how smart vulcans are even without a brain they're still registering on our puny human brain well i mean you've seen technology. as to the crewmen on the enterprise so you know Compared to them, even a brainless Spock is smarter than like yeah, basically a Vulcan nervous system is still just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, on a totally unrelated note, you know, talking general Trek episodes, this this episode does have an annoyingly high red shirt survival rate. Oh yeah. yeah. Do you notice that there's two red shirts, I believe, who who go down in the landing party? 
and, and they both survive. Yeah, even though there's yeah. spear, crude spears being, you'd think yeah. there'd at least be one spear like put right into, you know, at least you'd hear the ay and then yeah. da 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 and around the corner, and there's a crewman like uh, collapsing against a rock. They left the red shirts up there uh, roasting marshmallows around yeah. a heated rock. <laughs> yeah. Now you'll notice that Sulu was like, "I'll be goddamned if I'm going to go down to another ice planet and freeze yeah. my balls yep. off like I did in Enemy Within." He stays up on the bridge, man. He finally wised up. He doesn't go on those ice cold missions anymore. When I was a kid, I thought that was one of the coolest uses of a phaser. Screw it being a weapon, I can heat up a freaking rock. That's <laughs> a red hot. I thought that was the coolest shit when I was a kid. Oh yeah, instant fire. <laughs> Well, I, you know those uh, those Norse-looking guys that live on the surface of the mm-hmm. planet. Did you notice they Morg or I Morg? I well, can't remember. To, I don't know. They're one of them. They're they're Morgs, all right. The, the, but the, the, uh, on scanners is being huge, but we're in reality about three inches taller than everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is platform boot. <laughs> now, they're granted, like, you you know this this would have been shown on TV. You know, in the late 60s on, on the dinky little black and white screen sure. with shit resolution. So I'm sure, you know, you, you've got to cut it a lot of slack for that reason. You know, and, and seeing it in, in high def and all that shit today, so much more that that kind of stuff stands out. But I just I thought TV added. Course. I thought TV added weight, not height. Well, no, no, not that. But I mean, they're, how nicely tailored their shirts are. Oh, for yeah. Cave. You know, no, I thought like about that. Yeah, and you know, it looks like Nicely they bought them sewed. at uh, you know, like LL Bean or something. So it's really, <laughs> I looked at that and said, <laughs> "Well, they could." Now it's, it's my just, turn to be no prize guy. Okay, I think they would probably come up to those elevators once or twice a year and find piles of clothing and food and stuff that were made by the temporarily smart yeah. go-go models downstairs. <laughs> sort of like Zardoz. Remember Zardoz? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, here's the important thing when they first encounter him. You know, they have their fight. They they capture the one guy. This is reason 5,241 of why Captain Kirk is the biggest pimp in the galaxy. Uh-huh. Because what does it take him about? Two sentences to go, but where's your pussy? I don't see any pussy around. <laughs> I mean, I don't care if you're trying to kill us. I don't care if they. I mean, the, his pressing concern is where the, girls. the entire thing was. But where are the women? I don't see any women. From. Where's the scantily clad, big, tall Scandinavian women? And what I was saying about Scotty earlier, the reason he probably got all groomed because if you watch him during that exchange, he's just salivating behind Kurt. He's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's your women? <laughs> women, women, good. Yes. <laughs> So I think somebody was was hard up for a date. <laughs> well, something you know, I every once in a while I actually remember to take a quick peek at the uh, at the nitpickers guide just to see what what might be in there that I missed or whatever. And with with a, with apologies to the author of that book, I thought his nitpicks for this particular episode were especially nitpicky. But there was one that caught my eye that I thought, oh damn, that's right, I didn't think of that. Which was all right. Let me get this straight. The 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 women live underground. And the men live above ground, and they get together every once in a while to get you know pain or delight, right? So what happens right. when they when they procreate? How the fuck does that work? If they're boys, they get chucked back upstairs. I would guess so. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't quite. I mean, those do those 
you know, idiots on the surface strike you as being able to care for a fucking newborn? <laughs> well, maybe they don't. Maybe they wait till they're teenagers and then, you know. Yeah. Put them in some yeah. sort of suspended animation, maybe. Or right. maybe they capture one of the one of the trogs from upstairs and put him in the smart machine. Yeah. And and let him, you know, give him some basic, you know, oh yes, child rearing skills. I will now be the perfect father. Yes, not only is it Mr. Spock who's been captured, but now Doctor Spock. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. It could be okay, done. so here's a. Do you think that the uh, the Spock Lobot helmet with patented six button remote was off the shelf parts, or is that something that he normally keeps in a sick bag? <laughs> yeah, I think he keeps it in sick bay, but he usually doesn't tell anybody about it because it's for <laughs> other uses altogether. When anybody goes in a coma, he just like looks around both ways and puts the helmet on him. And a lot of women went in comas on Star Trek. Yeah, a, a female crew member. Yeah, yeah. Mm, there must have this button do. There must have been a fucking class at Starfleet Academy on that because you'll notice that any time the remote gets dropped or handed off, the next person instantly knows exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, there's only six buttons. Yeah, I was about so. to say. Yeah, it's like it's like rolling a die. It's like, <laughs> you could just something. start trial and error in it and pretty much figure out pretty pretty quickly which is forward, back. But which one is which one is reach around and grab you know the weapon away button. Right. right, you know, uh, well, I never saw we, Kirk it's, push it, any button for for Spock to grab the woman's other wrist. You know, he he has Spock grab her wrist that has the little control doohickey on it. Right, but then she starts to swat inside the head with her other hand, and his other hand grabs Just, that other wrist. But I never saw Kirk push any buttons for that. And even okay, if he okay. did, I mean, that was like a macro button. No, 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 hang on, hang on. It's the alien technology, correct? It's the technology of the place that they are. They're in the same room with the brain of Spock that's running that technology. So perhaps the brain of Spock somehow was interfacing with the device and was able to act as sort of a little bump to get him to, to well, the whole go the extra mile. Well, the whole control is a whole sick bay rig up. That's a whole Dr. McCoy rig up. Oh, that's right. Yeah, darn it. Curses. Curse you, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just thinking that didn't quite follow because if I was Spock's brain in a thing and I see my body walk in the room and I could actually control it, the first thing I think is, uh, okay, come over here and get me out of this thing. So, But Spock didn't want out, really, did he? He was kind of yeah, cool. Yeah, he was kind of fascinated with being in there, yeah. Yeah, I think it really played. So, I mean, I would, if I were him, I'd be pissed. I think he was just going with the flow. I think he was just sort of like, well, you know. Well, okay, we can reattach it. All right, well, okay, fascinating. <laughs> I'll reattach it. But, yeah, I have a feeling if if they would have had to leave him in there, he would have been, like, perfectly happy to be sort of running the systems and going through the probably history files of the whole civilization slash culture, which is very Spock-like to do. Was Spock you... pissed when he woke up and found out he was in an olive green uh, jumpsuit? <laughs> So, yeah, it's like a leftover from that episode where they they have the spores, and he's in love with uh, yep. with Charles Bronson's wife in in that one. Yeah, it was the same outfit he was wearing in that one. But now, do you think that the, that this episode primarily gets its reputation because of the utterly just idiotic ending with Spock actually talking McCoy through? Yes, rain back in. <laughs> yes, I think that's where it jumps the shark right there. 
You know, I mean, the part where McCoy does, and yes, a child could do it. A child could do it. It's well, I think you know, it, it maybe gets reputation too, just because of the whole. I, I think just the whole concept of the brain missing and and the way they kind of played up his brain. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. Little, little, little cheese status. What do you mean? He's worse than dead, Jim. He's got yeah. no brain. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, and I think that's probably it because it's the whole episode. If I have to say anything about it, everything seems overly simplified and there doesn't to me at least seem to be much of a sense of peril aside from the obvious of oh we have 24 hours to get Spock's brain in everything comes pretty easily to them I think in this episode you know there's no oh yeah they get attacked by cavemen and they get a you know they get a flail when people you know when the hot woman pushes the button every once in a while but there isn't any sort of real like I don't know there's there's something that just keeps him from every step going. I, I don't know. You see what I'm saying? I'm, yeah, all their hurdles are pretty easily yeah. fixed by like karate chopping someone or just or pushing, or, a or, <laughs> pushing a button or, 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 yeah, or yeah. putting on the smart helmet. And or, the, yeah, and there's just a series of steps that they have to get through to actually put his brain in. But, you know, it's like, it's Star Trek. It's about concepts, and it was basically based on the sci- you know, the sci-fi concept of a brain running you know, a ship. Mm. Now, in the very little, uh, the not not so thinly veiled uh, needs of the many. Yeah. Right. Yep. There. Yeah. The well, also, I noticed one crew member. Yeah. There's that scene right at the very beginning when they all, you know, right after the 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 first commercial break, where they all wake up on the bridge, and McCoy calls up to the bridge for Captain Kirk, and he says. You know, something along the lines of, Jim, you better get down here. And that's right out of Star Trek Two. Yeah. right after, you know, Spock had sacrificed himself down in the engine. Right. So, yeah, it was another one of those similarity callback type of things, I thought. Yeah. Except I w- Spock didn't voluntarily do anything. He just... Right, right. His brain took. Now, how badly, when, when you watch the scene... In sick bay, you know, when they're first coming to grips with the whole situation of Spock's brain being gone, and and McCoy and Kirk are like nose to nose with each other, and then Scotty's standing right there in the background, and they're delivering all that really, really <laughs> bad dialogue. How badly do you expect to see one of them crack up? Because every time I watch it, I'm waiting for them, one of them, to just go and just lose it, yeah, or, or fart or something. <laughs> that would have been a perfect spot for it. I'd love to see the outtakes if there, like, if any exist of, of from this episode because I'm sure with some of that dialogue they had to bust up. Oh it. yeah, they had to be just like getting their daily scripts and reading. It going really okay, okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's good thing it's payday. <laughs> now, interestingly, but, this but episode. Shatner's thinking, how many? Okay, wait, I there's hot chicks on the show, so there's gonna be. It's a plan. It's a planet, hollow planet, full of hot chicks. So that means there's going to be all sorts of hot extra girls in miniskirts and go-go boots. So Shatner's on the scene. So Shatner's on board. <laughs> probably Scotty was too. That's probably why. He's, that was probably all James Doohan just going. I'm washing my hair for this episode. 
Well, this is season three, so they've got a couple of seasons behind them. They're getting fairly yeah. successful. Yeah. So that they've got names for themselves. So, you know, in reality, for the whole filming, they're probably all shit-faced drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, what did you start to say a minute ago? Oh, I just started to say you were talking about the dialogue. And, and interestingly, this episode is actually written by one of the co-writers of Space Seed, one of our favorite episodes. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so... Um, I don't know, and just found it interesting that you can kind of go from one of the most highly regarded episodes to one of the least highly regarded episodes. Yeah, see, I failed to, to make note of that. I really expected that this one would be written by, you know, Joe Schmoowitz, who yeah. never wrote another thing for TV ever or something like that. So that's actually funny. Yeah, this is Gene Kuhn, and he's actually, and I guess he also helped Gerald write uh, Trouble with Tribbles, another you know, fan huh. favorite. Yeah. So. Well, you know, it's like I said at dinner tonight. You know, they can't all be city. Pass the, the goddamn gravy. <laughs> <laughs> what was for dinner at the Gardner household today, Matt? Chicken. 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 Chicken on the menu. What's for dinner at the Gardner house? <laughs> well. That's about all I got for this one. It has some great lines in this one, though, because I love his brain is gone, but my other one is uh, brain and brain. What is brain? Yeah. I love that. <laughs> got to use that ad nauseum from now on on the show because I <laughs> love that. Brain and brain. What is brain? We need to make a song out of it. Whenever that would have been a great Devo song. Oh, yeah. It's like a bad Dr. Seuss novel or something. Yeah, brain and brain. What is brain? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it like brings title. pleasure. It brings pain. <laughs> <laughs> well, whenever one of us says something particularly stupid from now on, we've got to use the his brain is gone clip. <laughs> I love that one. His brain is gone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have you got the uh, the the whole? Uh, I do. I, I do. Do you have your episode guide there? I do. I am prepared, damn it. I am right. professional now. It's fired up. It's just warming up. Hang on a second. All right. Ooh. Did we already do this number? It was number nine. Number nine. Number nine. <laughs> yep, you've got to pick another. That was Dagger of the Mind. i Bad computer, bad computer, down. Alright. Ooh, wow. Number 79. Ooh, that's right the, to the bitter end. Yep, that's Turnabout Intruder. Is that the one where Kirk is inhabited by a woman? Yes, it is. Oh, so this is some Shatner... This is Shatner at his ham, ham, ham. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I've been looking forward to this one, actually. I haven't seen this one since I was a little kid. I haven't seen it in a long time, and I remember not liking this one very much, so I'm actually really curious to see it again. But that was then, and this is now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, Shatner is playing Captain Kirk with the soul of of a... Evil. I just remember her being an evil, power-hungry. Yeah. Oh, it's gonna be great. <laughs> I'm one of those people. I, you know, I rewatch the ones I like and ignore the ones I don't. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually finding it fun to re-examine. You know, like what we did with Cloudminders. I was pleasantly surprised with yeah. that episode because I remembered that one to just be total shit, 
And there were parts of it I really liked. So, I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to Turnabout Intruder. And once again, I'll, I'll probably watch this. If I if I can find the the remastered edition, I might watch that. But I'll probably watch it on, on YouTube, on the CBS site, which if you go to our Libsyn page, there's whenever there's an episode you can watch Spock's Brain, just go to our Libsyn page and, uh, and uh, there it is. We'll have a link to it. You can go and watch it for free. I think there's like a couple stupid 30-second ads that you have to sit through. But otherwise, it's pretty nice quality. Pretty good quality if you have high-speed internet. Which, if you don't, you know, there's something wrong with you. But, uh... If you like Todd Grady, you can just... Pull out your old VHSs and and watch them on that. <laughs> I would say if you've got the uh, if you've got the means if you've got the wherewithal to check them out in the in the new remastered editions, I would definitely uh, highly recommend that because I'm enjoying the hell out of watching them now. Yeah, they just pretty them up a little bit without making it without overdoing it. You know, they don't call attention to themselves as much. I, as that, yeah, anything. that's the one I watched was the uh, the enhanced. Aren't they nice? Well, yeah, I think, it was quite nice. Yeah, I think it's really nice. I mean, for for those that have never seen it, if, if just think about if you've ever seen the uh, Trials and Tribulations episode of DS9 where they see the Enterprise sequence in that. You know, it, it's that kind of um, CGI style. You know, a little little bit prettier than that, I think. You know, a little bit. They uh, match it up to the look of but yeah, the yeah, exactly. Star Trek it's, really well. You know, so I'll yeah. have to go check. I think I, I, I know that's the version I, I watched, but I also checked out the version that was on the CBS, uh, the CBS site that's linked through YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I want to say the ship, the very beginning of the episode, the, the the alien ship that comes up is completely different. Uh huh. Could be not pretty up at all, but I want to say they they totally CG a new ship in there. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it almost looks like a satellite or something like that in the in the right. in the new one in the CG version. But yeah, I liked it. I thought it looked really sharp. But yeah, they don't beat you over the head with it. That's what I like. Right. It it, right. it blends very nicely. It's not like you know George Lucas where stepping on Jabba's tail. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, where it just was like, oh god, no. I don't <laughs> like change. I don't want change. You exactly. can have your remastered episode. We fear change. <laughs> no change for me. You got spare change? Keep the change. Change you can believe in. Oh, no! <laughs> oh, with that, we've got to go. I just went to Coinstar with a whole bunch of change that I could believe in. Play me out, keyboard cat. <laughs> That's, you know what? I wanted to thank you for that. I like I liked being played out by keyboard cat at the end of that alternate reality episode. I thought that was very appropriate. <laughs> I put that in just for you. I sir. love the keyboard cat. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely 
Discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. TwoTrueFreaks.Libson.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libson, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. The Two True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1-585-COP-LURE. That's 1-585-267-5873. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are now also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening to Two True Freaks. Future Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U. What do you mean? Jim. Come on, Bones, what's the mystery? Those guys are retards. Retards!